0: Ezekiel 36:24 through 28: "I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Well, we've arrived at the big passage today in Galatians. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the spirit, like you've already heard. And just a, a note for kids: if you have those kids bags, there should be in there a little coloring sheet with the fruit of the spirit on it. And if you didn't get one, there's some at the back. Adults feel free to take one as well if you need a visual aid. Uh, it's not a problem. So it's it's the fruit of the spirit. Whenever you preach on a really high-profile passage, like the one that we're going to be looking at today, there's bound to be mixed emotions. I I like to think of the sermon series, whatever sermon series that we're on, kind of like a roller coaster. Uh, When when that bar is down and that car is moving, you're just along for the ride, come what may. Uh, So you're going to go through all those twists and turns, and and that's really part of the fun is just being able to experience the ride. That's kind of how the sermon series is. You're you're all along for the ride. Uh, Whatever passage comes up, we'll get to. Now, in every roller coaster, there's going to be one famous section. It's it's the section that gave it its renown. It's why you wait in line, because you're really excited about experiencing that one major drop or that huge spin or inversion that you do. And you're either looking forward to that or you're dreading it. Uh, either when you hit that section it 's either your favorite part of the roller coaster, or it 's the part that you just close your eyes and and pray that you get through it and, and I think that 's kind of like how the fruit of the spirit is when we hit that passage this morning, uh, this is that section in the ride of Galatians. This is the most famous passage. These these few verses are the most well-known, they're the most preached on, they're the most memorized. Even if you've never read through the entire book of Galatians front to back, you've probably at least heard of the the fruit of the Spirit. And so with that much familiarity, you know in advance what's about to happen. You're either looking forward to it, because it's your favorite passage, uh, and you you just can't wait to get into all those words that you know and and are so dear to you, or You're dreading it. Uh, You might be dreading it because you're worried that you're going to be bored. After all, this, again, is a well-known passage. You you might have studied this passage many times throughout your life. You you might have heard many different sermons on it. You might have had people quoting it at you a lot. So you might be very familiar with it, uh, and it's a lot of words, you know? It's a lot of words that have a lot of meaning. And so kids might be sitting back and saying, oh, great. We're going to be listening to a dictionary definition fest today. So we might be worried about being bored. Or you might be dreading it because you're worried that you'll be embarrassed. Let's be real. We're talking about a list of virtues. And, and whenever we feel, whenever we hear a list of virtues, it's hard not to feel like we are underperforming in our Christian lives. Often, our Christian growth feels inconsistent. It feels slow. You can take me for example. Before I was a Christian, I had a horrible temper whenever I was stuck in traffic. When I, when I was stuck in traffic, I just wanted to yell and scream at everyone on the road. Now, after years of being a Christian, when I'm stuck in traffic, I only want to scream at some of the people on the road. <laughs> and so we sit back and then we're going to hear. When we, when we have that, you're going to tell me about love, peace? and Patience? Give me a break. As one writer puts it, talking about spiritual fruits almost always alienates people because it's always experienced as an accusation, even after you believe. So those are the challenges that we need to work through this morning, boredom and shame. And here's the way through. Here's how we're going to deal with these two dueling challenges for us this morning. We just need to ask, why did Paul write this? Why did Paul write this section? We might remember what we talked about last week. Paul gave a stunning passage about the believer's victory over sin. Now, how is he going to follow up that victory in sin, this triumphant passage, with a list of good stuff and bad stuff? He certainly didn't write it to, to bore them. In fact, if you were a Roman reader hearing this for the first time in in the original language, you would immediately be intrigued. Paul intentionally wrote with aesthetically pleasing words the style that he employs in these two lists. uh, uh, Scholars of history have shown that he's actually using a style that was in vogue at the time. He intentionally wrote these two lists to be gripping to the people that would be listening. This is not an opportunity for the people to tune out. He wrote to intrigue them, and he's certainly didn't write it to shame them. Again, he has just said that believers are victorious in the spirit, free in Christ. And so the fruit of the spirit that we're about to hear must be a part of that victory and that freedom. It seems like these lists that we're about to read, they they were meant for our enjoyment and our encouragement. Not to bore us or shame us. So why exactly did Paul write this? What was he hoping to accomplish? As we begin to answer that question first, we need to hear what Paul has to say. So please join me in God's holy word as we hear now the scripture reading for the day. It's in Galatians chapter 5. I invite you to turn there and keep your Bibles open because we'll be referencing it throughout the sermon. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's found on page 975. Please hear now the word of God, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 25. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for this wonderful word, a, a list of, of things for us to aspire to, certainly, but not a bludgeon, not, not a hammer, not, not a, a list of grievances against us, but a, a portrait of the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Please, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word to us so that we would be able to behold Christ And to trust in him more and more for our sanctification. Please give us hope today. Give us strength as we hear your word. And help us to receive it well. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So let's return to that main question. Why did Paul write this? If we dig into the passage a bit, I think we can name three purposes for this text, three reasons that Paul seems to have written this fruit of the Spirit, the the list of vices, the works of the flesh, the list of virtues, this fruit of the Spirit. And I think Paul's first goal in writing this text is simply to contrast the Spirit-led life from the flesh-led life. In all of chapter 5, Paul is trying to work out the consequences of walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit. We hear that in verse 16, verse 18, verse 25. He is envisioning a Christian life that is in constant reliance upon the Holy Spirit And so now he's just, again, kind of working out the consequences. What does that look like when one has a spirit-led life? And the consequences are clear. The spirit-led life is completely different from the flesh-led life. He says that the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. They're manifestly clear. In other words, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to discern whether someone is controlled by the flesh or controlled by the Spirit. If you are controlled by the flesh, your life, and the communities that are, you're, you're existing in, they will absolutely look like it. You can tell just from a surface read which people and communities are controlled by the flesh. Paul names three noticeable categories of the flesh-led life, and here's what we find. The flesh-led life tends to be characterized by sexual excess, spiritual rebellion, and social destruction." Again, sexual excess, spiritual rebellion, and social destruction. So let's look at this list together. The flesh-led life is marked by sexual excess. We hear first immediately about sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, words that come together to create this picture of someone or a community with an uncontrolled sexual appetite, giving in constantly to what Thomas Schreiner describes as unbridled passion of sexual license. And then immediately after that, we hear that there's also spiritual rebellion. There's idolatry, idolatry, worshiping a false god instead of the true and living god. And then there's sorcery, sorcery, which is turning from the living and true god to trust in something else for divine intervention. At that point in time, it might be uh, someone going to a divine to figure out the future, a fortune teller who would be able to uh, to tell a, a Roman citizen, one of these Galatian Christians, who, uh, who, who they're going to be or what needs to happen, or uh, a magician who would be able to offer some sort of a spiritual solution to an ailment. That's the sorcery that Paul has in mind. And both of these things are, are spiritual rebellion. It's not trusting in the true and living God of the scriptures. So again, sexual license, spiritual idolatry, these things are clearly not okay. They are are clearly against God's will for our lives. And the the Galatian Christians would be nodding along with this list. They'd be saying, yeah, that that sounds about right. They knew their culture. They had been saved out of their culture. They likely would have gone to great lengths to distance themselves from the Roman culture that sounded exactly like it. It was was completely consumed with sexual excess and spiritual idolatry. So again, they're, they're on board at this point in time. But interestingly enough, Paul keeps going. After listing five sins that all Christians would likely agree are like the big bad sins, they're the sins that all preachers throughout the ages tend to kind of rail against from the pulpit, these big bad sins, five of them, Paul then lists 10 social sins. Ten sins that maybe hit a little bit closer to home. Ones that might fly underneath our radar. Things that we might turn a blind eye to in our hearts or in our communities. Look, look at it with me. Enmity. Enmity. It's hatred. It's a, it's a spirit of, of hatred for other people. This boiling in the guts when you see or think about someone else. Hatred, enmity, strife open conflict, a spirit of argumentativeness, jealousy, envy, craving the good gifts that God has given to other people and resenting those other people because they have them instead of you. Fits of anger, bursts of rage, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, uh, relational fragmentation, exclusivity. A partisan spirit that rules over the community and divides people from one another. Drunkenness, orgies, which in that case would probably be these, these uh, r- uh, um, very robust drinking parties. Uh, so, so all of these gatherings that are, are marked by communal overindulgence. So the works of the flesh are not simply personal and private. They, 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 they infest a community. They destroy a community and a fellowship from the inside. The works of the flesh undermine trust. The works of the flesh delight in excluding other people. They they delight in in storing up power and abusing other people with it. And even though we might like to give many of these social sins a pass, God doesn't. God is is absolutely concerned with the quality of the Christian community, not just the personal Christian life. God exists in perfect community. One God, three persons in perpetual fellowship and love, each member of the Trinity honoring the other members of the Trinity. His people should act no differently. And it would be wise for Christians to heed this warning, especially in an age as divided as ours. God does not take these social sins lightly. This is not presented as a list of big, bad sins. And then a couple of more socially acceptable sins. As long as you're not sleeping around, it's, it's okay to be sort of yelling at each other and griping at people on the internet. No, that is not how God sees it. People who do such things meaning people who are totally governed by the flesh, whether it be sexual excess or spiritual rebellion or even socially destructive tendencies, these people will not inherit God's kingdom. That means that their eschatological destiny, the final destiny for them is judgment. And so if that picture of the flesh-led life is pretty bleak. Now, contrasted with that, life in the Spirit is absolutely amazing. It's incredible what the Spirit does in our lives, beginning with love. Love is the foundational virtue from from which all the other virtues flow. Love, a preference for the other person. An internal compulsion to care for their needs, to show mercy. That is love. And then added to love, from love springs joy, joy. And an effervescent delight that is grounded in the saving works of God. Peace. Harmonious relationships with God and with other people that bring unity, that bring flourishing together in community. Patience. Long suffering. Forbearance. What one scholar calls calm endurance in the midst of any trial, whether it be a small trial like a frustrating co worker or family member, or a large trial like suffering and enduring persecution. Calm endurance, that's patience, kindness. Kindness is an internal disposition of, of thoughtfulness and graciousness and compassion. And then on top of kindness is is goodness. Goodness is the external expression of kindness. If kindness is how you feel on the inside towards other people, how you desire to act towards others, goodness is actually doing that. And it's not just goodness in terms of the beauty of the moral life. It's also goodness particularly expressed through material generosity to those in need. That's, that's being good to other people, and the Roman Christians would pick up on that. It, it's stewardship of your resources so that other people have everything that they need. Goodness, faithfulness, loyalty, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, and then gentleness, meekness, humility, not being impressed with yourself, but being willing to accept other people. One one, uh, Reformed scholar, Herman Ritterboss even translates it as showing tolerance of others. That's gentleness, a gentle spirit that is willing to sacrifice your own comfort and your own expectations because you don't think too highly of yourself. You're willing to embrace others, showing tolerance to other people, and finally self-control having power over one's passions, able to show restraint and moderation in your behavior. Friends, the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is abundantly clear. There is no mistaking one for the other. If I could sum up the flesh-led life in one word, it would be decay, this list of sins, it just reeks of decay. Contrasted with that one word to summarize the flesh-led life would be vitality. This list is beaming with life. It is absolutely gorgeous. So that's the contrast. Now, why does this contrast matter? What's the, what's the, what's the big deal? It's actually very central to Paul's entire Galatian argument. Faith in Christ actually leads to holiness. Holiness. It's not the law that brings holiness. It is faith in Christ that brings holiness. And that's what we see here in this passage. Faith in Christ brings the Holy Spirit who brings these practical expressions of holiness into your life. The law could never free you from such decay. Rules may restrict some of the expressions of these vices that we hear, but rules don't go into your heart and stamp out the desire for them. Only the Holy Spirit leads to righteousness. And that's what actually makes this a very countercultural passage. People in Paul's day, throughout the Roman Empire, it was very popular for philosophers, religious leaders to publish these vice lists and virtue lists. And so people would be aware, oh, he's telling us one of these, one of these lists, uh, a virtue list and a vice list. But what makes Paul's list particularly countercultural is that it's only the spirit who brings the virtues. It is the spirit who actually brings about change. And and that's really helpful for us, too. Our culture is filled with lists of vices and virtues. Uh, I think it's very clear to every single one of us sort of what's expected from us when we go out into the world, Uh, whether it be what we're not supposed to do or what we are supposed to do. And those rules don't ever really change our lives, do they? I can't tell you how many times I've seen bumper stickers or T-shirts from people that say, Be kind. Be kind to other people. Be kind to yourself. And, and I love that in, in a sense. I think it's very important for us to be kind to ourselves and be kind to each other. But I think that the prevalence of all of those bumper stickers and all of those t-shirts, it doesn't actually make us kind. In fact, I think what it reveals is the fact that by nature, we're not very kind. So we need someone else to help us be kind. We need the Holy Spirit. Paul insists. This is God's holy word that tells us that real holiness, real character, real change only comes through the Spirit. And so I invite you to take a look at your life and let this contrast sink in. Is your life governed by the flesh or is your life governed by the Spirit? And this passage was originally written to a church, to churches. So we should ask, is your community of faith marked by fleshly decay or spiritual vitality? And it will be easy to tell. (laughs) Again, the difference is absolutely obvious. If your behavior or or your community is governed by sexual excess, spiritual self-sufficiency, and social destruction if you see no signs of spiritual renewal in your life or in your community, then let this contrast be a warning. Paul says, I'm writing this to warn you, people who are under the control of the flesh will receive judgment because they have not trusted in Christ for their salvation. Again, freedom from the flesh only comes through faith in Christ. And so if that is you, If you see yourself totally unable to fight against the the sinful passions that govern your heart, then please ask the Lord for forgiveness and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Of course, you might say, many of you might be saying today, wait a minute, I do trust in Christ. I do trust in Christ, but I actually still see deep sin struggles in my life. Does this passage mean that I'm disqualified from the kingdom? Am I somehow not really a Christian because I see evidence of these works of the flesh in my life? And that's why it's really easy to turn this passage into yet another legalistic structure that separates true Christians from worldly Christians. But this is not a new law. Paul didn't write this to say, be more virtuous. Oh, Paul is describing the concrete, real difference between believers and non-believers internally, spiritually. And so Christians, when you see sin in your life, just ask, is it the climate or is it the weather? Is it the climate or is it the weather? Every region in the world has both climate and weather. Climate is the overall normal expected condition outside, and weather is a short-term meteorological event. In Virginia, in our region, the fall climate is clear and crisp and beautiful, but that doesn't mean that it's Always, every single moment of the day, crisp and clear and beautiful. There's weather that happens in the midst of this beautiful climate. There's going to be a thunderstorm that comes. There's going to be a heat wave that sweeps in in the middle of October when we were all looking forward to our sweaters. And there's going to be a cold snap where things are even colder than we thought they were going to be. Weather happens in the midst of the climate. And so ask yourself what's the climate and what's the weather? If you trust in Christ, then the climate, the the overall average of your spiritual state will be one of general and and growing peaceableness, self-control, love, joy, even the ability to notice sin. That's what the the, the climate is like. But the weather, there's going to be sins that pop up. course, all of us are going to have some sort of outburst of rage or jealousy, but when you're in Christ, that's the weather. That's the the short-term outburst. It's not the ultimate state of your life. And so this passage is actually really good news for Christians. The contrast is not meant to shame us. It's meant to encourage us. Jesus Christ will actually make your life more holy. The Spirit is Actually, bringing spiritual vitality into your life. And that is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating to see these signs of life cropping up in your heart. And that's Paul's second goal here. Noticing the contrast then leads us to rejoice. God is at work in your midst. Craig Keener says that God's work is to be celebrated. And it's clear that this is God's work in your midst. So we should celebrate it. Paul labels his list of vices works, which is an intentional throwback to chapter 3, verse 10, which says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Works of the law, works of the flesh. These are things that you do, your energy, your effort. But Paul labels his list of virtues the fruit of the spirit. Something that grows within you because of someone else's energy, someone else's effort. Again, the point of this text is not be more virtuous, but look at what God is doing in you already. Think of it like this. In 2014, the band U2 released a new album called Songs of Innocence. And what made it significant was not just that U2 released another album, uh, it was how they released it. And many of you may remember this. They didn't just put it up online for sale or put it in stores like Walmart or Target for you to go buy. They actually gave it away for free to anybody who used iTunes. And so when you opened up your iTunes account on, I think, September 9th, 2014, their new album was already there in your library. It's like they had put it there for you. And that's what the Spirit is doing in our lives. God, through the Holy Spirit, has put this in you, and for all for free. He has given it to you in your heart, and he is cultivating this list of virtues in your life already. And who does it look like? Pay attention to the description that we hear in this. Listen and think, who does this sound like? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. Jesus Christ abounded in these virtues, this fruit of the Spirit. This looks like him. So brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is making you look more like Jesus. You're looking more like him day by day, moment by moment. Just like me, when I opened up my iTunes library, I had the picture of that album. Believers have the picture of Jesus Christ in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And again, the Spirit is conforming your life to look more like him. That's exciting. That is absolutely worth celebrating. Celebrating. Even small signs of spiritual growth are are wonderful. They're worthy of us praising God for. Outside of our house, we have this small little strawberry plant. And for serious gardeners or farmers, it, it probably looks kind of pathetic. Uh, it, it, I don't know, Melinda, you could back me up on this. It's probably five strawberries a year. Uh, you know, around five tiny little things uh, that, that it gives off. They're not super juicy. Uh, they're, they're not necessarily the most tasty things. But It is an immense treat for any of our kids when we invite them to go pick a red ripe strawberry off of that plant. Again, we might think it's insignificant, but in our household, we celebrate that. Hey, look, there's another one. It didn't get eaten by a bird. Hey, look, it's here. It's growing. And it's the same thing for us in our sanctification. Do this every time that you see any sign of success or, or strength or victory in your life. Every time that you do not yell at an aggressive motorist. Every time that you intentionally choose kindness or hospitality over division every single time that you overlook an offense, every time that you hear about a need in the world or around you and your heart, almost without you thinking, your heart leaps up inside of you and you say, I think I could do something about that. All of that is a sign of life. Every single one of those instances is a sign that the spirit is at work in you. You should celebrate that. You can praise God for his wonderful grace. You look more like Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful to behold. And I just want to pause and say, I see that in you. Christ Church, I think that we should celebrate what the Spirit is doing in our midst. The, the past few years have been insanely hard for the American church. We, we have endured COVID and politics and, and scandals within um, American churches. The culture around us is more divided, statistically more divided than it's ever been. It would have been all too easy for us as a congregation to, to just follow, to, to fall in line with those kind of general cultural, uh, cultural habits, but you worked hard to stay unified. It wasn't perfect, it never is. We're never going to have the perfect fellowship. The Galatian Christians struggled with division too, which is why Paul keeps pointing out the temptation towards social fracturing. Paul knows that we're going to struggle. We're going to limp in this. But he, I want you to point out that you are, are struggling, limping in the right direction. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. You have kept at it. You are still in community, and that is awesome. We should pause to to celebrate that together, to to behold what God has done in our midst. You try to love each other well. You, You work hard at showing each other grace. You want to be generous with those in need. Friends, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work here in this church. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, in you, personally, I think we should celebrate that. And as we celebrate, as we rejoice in what God is doing, then I think the third thing happens, which is we commit to keep growing together. This is Paul's third goal. We see the contrast, we celebrate the growth, and then we commit to keep it up. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I've already mentioned this, and we looked at it last week. The, the Christian life comes out of this ongoing, continual relationship with the Holy Spirit. Paul describes it here, this keeping in step with the Spirit. It's like following a line leader, following another person in a march, you can think of a marching band, uh, a Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade marching band, or uh, if you participated in marching band at one point in time, the only way that a marching band actually works is if the instrumentalists all follow the drum major. The, the drum major is the one who sets the pace, who sets the rhythm. And if everyone keeps in step with the drum major, everything sounds great. In our Christian lives, Paul tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach us the ways of holiness. And so we need to follow him. You need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit who is living in you. And if you are a Christian, you already know what this feels like. You you already know what the Spirit is doing, and you already know His prompting to follow. It, it feels like that little nudge internally telling you to do the honest thing at work. Or that, that little voice saying, don't say that. Don't, don't write that in your email. Don't send that yet. Take, take a breather. Calm down before you say what you want to say. That 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 internal sense, it, it's, that, uh, it's that reminder from Scripture that pops up in your mind to flee temptation. That is the Spirit leading you. And so what Paul is saying is simply follow his lead. Follow where he's leading. Listen to those impulses within you, because when they accord with scripture, that is the Holy Spirit leading you from decay into life. Now, Of course, it's not always easy. After all, spiritual growth comes through spiritual conflict. Remember what we read last week? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. It's painful sometimes to follow the Spirit, isn't it? It's painful for us to own our sin, to acknowledge the fact that, yes, I'm a sinner in this this particular way. It's, It's painful to swallow your pride and overlook an offense. It's painful to say no to pleasurable temptations, it's painful to put aside division and, and welcome people that, that are, are challenging or are frustrating to you. At times, sanctification feels like a death sentence. And that's, that's why Paul calls it a crucifixion. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucifixion was painful. The word excruciating comes from that word to describe what it felt like. It was painful. At times, you might cry out in pain. You might wonder, Lord, how can I possibly keep following the Holy Spirit into this area of sanctification in my life? And at this point in time, whenever you feel that, just remember that in Christ, crucifixion always leads to life. After death, there is always resurrection. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And he lives in me, in you, through his Holy Spirit. So keep in step with his Spirit. Commit to your Christian growth follow the spirit where he leads because he is leading you toward everlasting life. This passage is not a recipe for a boring, dull life, nor is it a heap of shame. It is a captivating portrait of the abundant new life that the Holy Spirit is cultivating within you. We're coming up on One of my favorite seasons here in Virginia, I've talked about it already, so you might sense that I'm itching for fall. Uh, Fall, I like to say that fall is Virginia's glory. It's it's absolutely wonderful living here in the fall, isn't it? The the weather is, it's amazing. Uh, You love being outside. You go for a drive and the trees everywhere are, are just on fire with amazing colors, and it's apple season. Apple season is incredible. Every year, I am always stunned at how many apples grow in our state. When I was in college, I, I went from North Carolina up to Virginia to the Shenandoah Valley to go to an apple festival. And if you've never been to an apple festival, you totally need to go to an apple festival. They are incredible. We went to one apple festival in this small town and the entire school gymnasium was filled with apples. And not just one kind of apple. There there were countless varieties of apples, and every single one of them was delicious. They all had a particular use. Some were really good for cooking. Some you just wanted to slice right there and eat. Some tasted good with cheese. Others good with peanut butter. I mean, it was amazing. And and the the baked goods, the drinks that came out of this, it was even more incredible. It's, It's hard not to be amazed at how fruitful God's earth can be. How much fruit can come out of this planet? It's stunning. And if that's how creative and glorious our God is with apples, how much more creative and glorious do you think he's going to be with his church? Friends, we are God's orchard. We are his people who are laden with an inexhaustible, unlabelable variety of spiritual gifts. We cannot plumb the depths of the creativity and glory that our God is working in our midst. It is an absolute wonder to behold. It's a grace to the world who needs the spiritual vitality that we can offer and bring. And ultimately, it is a song of praise to the wonderful saving works of Christ. And so keep in step with the Spirit. Commit to your growth. Celebrate these signs of spiritual vitality because the Spirit is transforming us into God's garden, bringing our hearts fully to bloom in him, and all of his works deserve praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, glorious, creative passage and and what it tells us about us. And you, that you are, are doing this mighty work of redemption in us, bringing us from decay into life and glory. We thank you that, that your, your riches are inexhaustible, that they, they go on forever, your creativity, the amount of goodness that you possess. We can't wrap our minds around it. And so the fact that you would be working that within us so that each of us in our own way would abound in these spiritual fruits. It's, it's wonderful. It is, it is a gracious gift because we know that we're unworthy of it. Thank you so much for the work that you are doing in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I pray now for, for all of us that we would abound in this good fruit. Help us, Lord, not to turn this into a legalistic thing, but to receive it as a a work of celebration and to be inspired by the work that you're doing in our life, to, to want to delight in it all the more. Help us, oh God, we pray. Help us to have the fruit of the Spirit because it's a wonderful life that you're promising. Give us this grace. Give us this grace through the Holy Spirit even now, even at the meal that we're about to partake, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.